If you have a Bible with you this morning, we'll be looking at Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. If you don't have a Bible, you can find the text in the order of worship, or you can also use your phone or anything else you would like to use as well. So I say to you, hear the word of God. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would come this morning and you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that all of us, uh, to the extent that we are foolish, like the Galatians, that we would rely on something other than your finished work. You would, uh, you would repent us of that. You would change us, even this morning as we sit here. I pray that you'd be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen and amen. So if you, many of you know I like watching movies, and I have, I have pretty strong opinions about movies. There's one opinion that I have that I would bet that almost every one of you shares with me. If you think of the Indiana Jones trilogy, and notice that's a trilogy, even though there's five of them, four and five don't count, the trilogy, if I said which one of those was the worst one, I saw everyone go two. Two, two, right, two, it's the, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That's my humble opinion. It just isn't that great. On the other hand, there is one great scene in it. At least it's great because I can use it right now. <laughs> Remember Indiana Jones is trying to get these things called the Shankara Stones in India, and he's got this nightclub singer, Wilhelmina, and short round his little sidekick with him. And Indiana Jones has been entranced by this witch doctor. And remember what the witch doctor does is he puts you on this altar that moves, it, it sort of elevates, and it, when he wants to make a sacrifice, he just takes his hand and he puts it right into your chest and pulls out your heart while it's still beating. Right? Uh, got your attention? Well, remember, he's got, in the scene that I'm talking about, he's got Wilhelmina, the nightclub singer, on this altar, and Indiana Jones is in trance, and, he, and Indy is beginning to put his heart, he is going to tear his girlfriend's heart out and hand it to her. Right? Some of y'all are like, yeah, I felt that. Trust me. No, he's literally going to do it. And short round is screaming, Indy, Indy, stop, Indy, stop. And he can't get him to break out of this spell. And you remember what he does? Short round breaks away from his captor. He takes a torch and he shoves a torch right in Indiana Jones's naked belly and burns him. And he doesn't know. And he says, it's Indy. And Indy looks down at him and he winks. And you know it's going to be okay, <laughs> right? Because Indy's awake now. Indy, he has gotten his attention, but it took something incredibly hard and harsh and painful. Let me ask you this. In your own life, what kinds of things does it take to get your attention? Does God usually get your attention uh, through easy things or hard things? 
Does he usually get your attention through, through words that are just gentle and nice or words that are provocative? You know, I mean, one of my favorite sermons, and it's just because it's so provocative. You ever heard a guy named Tony Campolo? He stood before a huge crowd, and he used a four, he, was, he was preaching about children starving to death, and he used a four-letter word, and the whole crowd went, oh! and he said, "You're more concerned that I use that four-letter word than children dying today, aren't you?" Right? He got there attention. And every now and then, when people are sort of just complacent, you have to do something bold. As we look at the book of Galatians, we turn to chapter 3. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul does today. Did you notice how the book of this chapter opened? He says, oh, foolish Galatians. Another appropriate translation might be, you idiots. Now, what if I stood in front of you, and I looked genuinely angry, And I said, you foolish Presbyterians. I can't believe you. Right? Would that get your attention? Yeah, of course it would. But it's the United States, so part of you would leave the church and all these things. (laughs) That wouldn't happen with Paul. You see, up to this point in the book of Galatians, remember the problem in the book of Galatians is Paul planted these churches, and the message on which he planted these churches is this thing called the gospel. And he said the gospel is that Jesus lived the life you should have lived, he died the death you should have died, and he rose again from the death. And remember last week we talked about union, and when Jesus' life and Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, because of this thing called union, it might as well have happened to you. If Jesus died, you died. If Jesus rose, you rose. And he said, and it's Jesus plus nothing. As soon as you add something to the gospel, it's over. As soon as you add something to the gospel, it is no longer the gospel. And Paul said that, and he left to go do other things, and some agitators came along. Some, we call them Judaizers came along. And they said, you know, the apostle Paul, he's cool and all that, right? But, remember whenever you say but, get rid of everything that came before. He said, but, we know he said it's Jesus plus nothing, but... If you want to be sure, you should be circumcised too. And if you want to be sure, you should not only be circumcised, but maybe you should also obey all these Old Testament laws. Like, okay, so Jesus loves you, this I know, but he also loves you a little more if you do these things. And Paul heard that, that someone was saying this, and so he writes this letter to the Galatians. And one of the things they did as well is they said, who is Paul anyway? Paul, what is he, like the 13th apostle out of 12? Who is he? Who does he think he is? And so in the first two chapters of Galatians, what Paul does is he clarifies the gospel, that it's Jesus plus nothing. It's not by works of the law by which we are saved, but by faith. And he clarifies his own authority, that he received this gospel not from man, but from God himself. And so he has sort of been given this general clarification. I have the authority to preach this message. This is the message. And then in chapter 3, it's as if he turns to the church. In other words, he's been talking to the agitators up to this point, and now he's turning to the people that have been listening to the nonsense. And he turns to them and basically says, oh, foolish Galatians, now it's time for me to talk to you. Agitators, they already snuck out the back. Now there's just us. You're foolish. He's going to talk about three things, say, three, three reasons why they're foolish. He actually asks six rhetorical questions. I'm going to boil them down into to basically three things. The three, the, the three things that he basically asked them is when they think about the gospel, when they think about their own Christian life, first question is, when you think back on your Christian life, how did this thing start? Was it by faith or was it by works of the law? And given your answer to that question, how do you think it's going to end? 
Do you think it's going to end by faith, or do you think it's going to end by works of the law? And if you think it's going to start by faith, and you think it's going to end by faith, how do you think you ought to be living right now? Right? So those three things, it's pretty simple. He's going to talk about their faith, how it started, how it's going to finish, and how it should be lived right now. So let's look first at, at how it should start in verses uh, three, uh, 1 and 2. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, let me... Let me clue you in on what Paul is doing here as well. If you have kids, or or if you've ever had children, you know, some of you have raised your kids, you've often, the kid has done something my whole life. I think my mom asked me this question probably once a day, Tommy, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? She would ask me that oftentimes in the emergency room. What were you thinking when you were on that rope swing? What were you thinking when you tried to jump a ramp over a bed of nails? What were you thinking? And what did I tell her every time? I don't know. I don't know. It seemed like a thing to do. And you know, when I used to work for Eli Lilly, we used to work with psychiatrists, and I sold a medicine for ADHD. I learned a little trick that's much more effective. It's effective with ADHD kids. It's effective with kids that don't have ADHD, and it's effective for your spouse. Instead of asking, what were you thinking, ask this question, what were you not thinking? Because you ask someone what they're thinking, they'll be like, I don't know. If you ask someone what they were not thinking, it, it makes them have to think through what, what they're not thinking. Well, mom, when I, when I would put all those nails there, I was not thinking that I might not make it over. And I was not thinking that if I landed on those, that it would be really painful and, and those things, I might end up in the hot. I wasn't thinking a bunch of these things. And that's what Paul is asking them. He's not so much saying, Galatians, what were you thinking? He's saying, Galatians, what were you not thinking? Let me ask you these questions. And so the first question he asked them, he says, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? And the, the, the language there literally means, who has put you under a spell? And it has to do with the kind of spell that would come from someone who gives you an evil eye. If you, if you want to know what that looks like exactly, if you've ever seen the Jungle Book, Right, remember, the, and I'm talking about the real one, the animated one, the original one. Remember, the, in the animated Jungle Book, when Mowgli is confronted with Ka, the, the, the giant anaconda, or boa, whatever he is, remember his eyes start getting all spirally, <laughs> and Mowgli starts, <laughs> he's under a spell, and that spell has come from these sort of hypnotic eyes, and that's what Paul's asking. Who's bewitched you? Who has put you under a spell? That, you, you are so foolish. The only way you could, not, you could change from what I have told you is for someone literally to have bewitched you or to messed up your eyes. And the reason I think it's, that's exactly what he's getting at is he's, because the very next thing, he says, let me tell you what I put before your eyes. And he says, before your eyes, he says, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And what does he mean there? The, the word there is literally like placarded. In, in other words, Paul says, I came through with this huge placard, this huge picture of Jesus crucified. It was so clear that you couldn't have messed it up. It was right in front of your eyes. Don't you remember that? Now, what has happened to them? These agitators have come in, and they have basically vandalized this placard. 
In other words, Paul came through with this clear picture of the gospel as if it were on a sign walking through town. And, and it's as if the, the agitators came through and they spray painted over the top of it, works of the law. Now, when you put works of the law over that picture, just practically speaking, it sort of obscures the real thing, doesn't it? That's what Paul is talking about. He says, who has bewitched you? Who has changed your vision here? The second question he asks them is this. He says, are you so foolish? Or he says, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Think about your own life. If you're a Christian, did you receive the Spirit? You see, Paul joins becoming a Christian, by the way, with the receiving of the Spirit. The two go hand in hand. He says, did you receive the Spirit by faith or by works of the law? Was it your doing or was it God's doing? Remember we say here every single week, I open the service and I say what? God always initiates with sinners. He always has the first word. Think of your own life. And did that happen with you or did you somehow work your way into a fabulous knowledge of God? You know, I think of my own life. I give my testimony at least once a month in Discover New Hope. And my testimony, you know, I grew up in a house. We didn't go to church ever. I got in a lot of trouble. And when I went, got, went, was in high school, some girls invited me to a camp. I didn't even know what the camp was about. I just thought, I've never been skiing, so I'm going to go. I definitely wasn't searching for God. I wasn't looking. I wasn't sort of, my conscience wasn't overwhelmed. And I thought, where can I find out how to be saved? I could care less about any of that. I knew I was going to go to camp, and there was going to be skiing, and there was going to be girls. And the very first day of camp, they said, Hey, let's, it was about 8 o'clock at night, and they said, well, let's go into the barn to hear the speaker. And I'm like, what's he going to speak about? And they said, oh, you'll see. <laughs> I saw. <laughs> he talked, he, he, in my memory, he said, kids, here's the deal. You have sinned against God, and he always punishes sin. Have a nice night. And I went out. I, didn't, I literally didn't know what to do. And someone said, so what would you think of the talk? And I can't tell you what I said to them in public. But I said, I think I'm in trouble. And all I can remember is the name of Jesus somewhere in that conversation and me begging for my forgiveness of my sins, and I was changed. Was that works of the law or was that the Spirit? In my own life, there's no question in my mind. I remember when I was in the army, I, I was trained by this guy named, he's also Sergeant Allen, great friend of mine. He was legend. And I'm a, a, a Nespers Indian. And one time he came and sat down with me. And he said, Allen, he said, I'm, you know, I'm Native American. I don't believe in the white man's gods. He says, why do you believe what you believe? And I said, I, I, I don't know, Sergeant. He said, well, how do you know it's true? And I said, all I know is that it changed me. It changed me. You see, what Paul does, is doing in the book of Galatians is very un-Presbyterian in some sense. You see, in the book of Galatians, in, the book of, in all of Paul's writings, as Presbyterians, we tend to be very theological, and we tend to be very, you know, it's almost like math, right? Do we have all of our doctrine right and all of our ducks in a row? And Paul is appealing in all, three of the, all six of these questions to their experience, don't talk to me about math. Don't talk to me about whether you, or not you, you know the words of the gospel. Have you ever heard the music of the gospel? And when you heard the music of the gospel, was it you that figured out how to play it, or was it the Holy Spirit that played it in your heart? Did you experience it? 
And did you experience it by faith or did you experience it by works of the law? And the answer that Paul wants us to say is by faith. And if we started by faith, how do you think you're going to finish? That's Paul's next question. Look at the verse 3. He says, are you so foolish? He says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Some of you in ESV Bibles, it'll have a footnote, and it'll say, are you now ending in the flesh? In other words, if you began in the Spirit, are you now ending some way different? And what's he getting at there? I mean, basically, this is that oftentimes um, in our Christian lives, either because someone told us this or because we just foolishly think it, we think that, okay, Jesus saved me from my sins. Now I need to spend the rest of my life staying out of trouble. Jesus saved me from my sins. Now I just need to gut it out until the end. And then we sin and we feel bad and we sin and we feel bad and we sin and we feel bad and we think, man, I just need to work real hard because I'm, I'm digging myself. Jesus got me out of the hole once, but now I'm digging myself back in. And Paul just confronts that. He says, you began by the Spirit. How do you think you're going to finish? What is it that's going to get you to the end? Do you think it's going to be faith or do you think it's going to be works of the law? Works of the law couldn't save you to begin with. Do you think works of the law are going to save you to the very end? Remember what Philippians 1.6 says? Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will what? Will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. It doesn't say he who began a good work in you is going to sit back and see how you do. He's going to sit back like an angry, disapproving father and just wait for you to screw up so he can pounce on you and punish you. Woo! It's awesome being a Christian. Joy, joy, joy. The irony is, is it should be. Because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. There's not any ifs about that. That's just a statement. And Paul is asking the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, do you think it's going to be any other way? You see, as soon as you understand that he who began the work is going to finish the work, suddenly you can begin to experience some freedom. You can experience freedom when you sin. You can experience freedom from sin. But not until you actually believe that God is going to finish the job can you be free. Remember what happened in Israel. The, the problem in Israel was, was the same problem that you and I have. Israel was in bondage and slavery in Egypt for 400 years, and God delivered them from Egypt with great and mighty deeds. And Egypt believed that, right? How could they not? They were out. And he not only said, I'm going to deliver you from Egypt, but I'm going to deliver you into the promised land. So the promise had two parts. I'm going to get you out of the, Egypt and into the promised land. And remember what Israel's problem was. They believed the first part of the promise because they, they had to. The second part of the promise is what they didn't believe. They didn't believe that God was going to finish the job. And you, you know what the, the symptom, you could tell if you don't believe God is going to finish the job, the primary symptom in your life, my life, it's the same thing with, that happened with Israel. If you don't believe God's going to finish the job, what tends to happen is you tend to complain a lot. You tend, you tend to, to complain and, and sort of grouse about the situation and the, the way things are or the, what leaders did or what, what person is president or anything like that. You begin to define your existence by all of these things outside instead of defining your existence by the fact that regardless of what this wilderness looks like, God promised he was going to get me to the other end. 
And so I can believe that. I can have faith that he is going to finish the job in me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is going to finish the job? If you complain a lot, let me tell you, you might not. And or when you catch yourself complaining, do you preach the gospel to yourself? He who began a good work is going to be faithful to complete it. It doesn't matter how frustrating these people are. It doesn't matter how frustrating traffic is. It doesn't matter. All this stuff at the end of the day doesn't matter. I'm going to make it to the end. So Paul says, basically, how did you start the gospel? Was it by the Spirit, with faith, or by works of the law? By faith. And then when he gets to verse 3, he says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now ending in the flesh? And the, the answer is clearly no. And, and it, the, the sooner we get that, the, the more free we are. You, it, it always amazes me. You know how long the distance between Egypt and Canaan was? 240 miles. And it took Israel 40 years to walk that far. So Israel averaged six miles a year in their journey. Now, why is that? It's because God gave them the wilderness to test them. And every time he would test them and they would complain, showing they didn't believe he was going to finish the job, and he'd say, well, take another lap. They'd take another lap. And he'd say, well, let's see if they're going to trust me now. The way he could tell if they trusted him, they'd complain. Take another lap. Right? If you ever played football, you hate hearing that. Take another lap. Forty years of laps because they refused to have faith. Paul says we started with faith, we end with faith. So what does that mean for our life right now? Notice what he says toward the end here. He says, verse 4, he says, Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In verse 4, it could say, instead of suffer so many things in vain, it could also just be translated, did you experience so many things in vain? So on one end, he, he's saying the, the, we start this way. The other way he's saying we end this way, he says, how do we live right now? And he appeals again to our experience. He said, did you experience so many things in vain? And I think what he's getting at is he's asking him this, look back on your life and ask yourself, has God been faithful to you? Has God been faithful to you in your life? When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you sat down and, and asked yourself, has God been faithful? Because when you, if your focus is on how faithful have I been, guess what? You're going to be miserable all the time. And you've heard me say the worst question, if you have accountability group, the worst question you can ever ask in an accountability group is you get together, you know, four or five guys, and say, okay, we're going to have an accountability group. Were you faithful this week? What does every single guy in there do? He either lies or he admits that he was a failure. I've never been in an accountability group where the, the lead question is, how faithful have you been, where anyone showed up and said, I was awesome this week. I didn't sin at all. Jesus must be so happy with me right now. And then we, you know, if they did that, I would just point out, well, you're prideful, so you fail. The better question to ask in an accountability group, and, and we do, I have a, a group of, of four or five guys, and the, the question we open with now is not how faithful have you been to Jesus, but basically how faithful has Jesus been to you? We call it God stories. What is God doing in your life? What has he done? And in other words, when you, when you get together with a group of people and ask them, have you been faithful, they're inevitably going to either say no, or they're going to feel guilty, or they're going to lie about it. 
But if you say, how faithful has Jesus been to you? Wow, open up the floodgates. Because then people can begin to talk. You know, I was horrible this week, but Jesus was faithful to me. Jesus is always faithful to me. When's the last time you looked at your life and asked yourself that question? You know, when I was in seminary, and we, we recently had an opportunity to adopt this practice. One of my Christian ed professors was talking about feast days and things like that. And he told us the story of a, of a pastor and his wife. She had gotten cancer, and then ultimately she had been healed of cancer. And so every day on that day when they got the news uh, uh, during the year, they have an anniversary party. They have a big time of that. They celebrate when God was faithful and saved mom. So guess what May 4th is in my house? Right? May 4th, 2017. Pastor Tommy has brain bleed, <laughs> kills 50% of the people, and the other 50% of the people are, are, are incapacitated for the rest of their lives. And yet, here I am. God's faithful. Now, I told you, he would have been faithful even if I'd have died. But nonetheless, it's something to celebrate that I came through that. And so May 4th, so now, now it's a holiday on our calendar. Where are the things in your life where God has been so faithful they ought to be holidays? Do you have any? Every single person in here has them, I promise you. You just have to think through them. You see, Paul says the way that we understand that God's going to be faithful in the future is we look back and we see that he's been faithful in our past. That he saved us by his spirit, he, he will finish by his spirit, and he's working in us now by his spirit. And we look back and we see all his faithfulness. Let me close with this. The way Paul sort of summarizes um, the, the book of Galatians up to this point. When the girls were little, we used to always watch Pawn Stars. I don't even know if it's a show anymore. Right? You ever seen Pawn Stars? I love that show because people bring their most, the most precious item that they've ever, you know, this thing, a, a, a revolutionary war musket, and the guy at the desk will be like, yeah, I'll give you 50 bucks for it, right? He's, he's constantly lowballing them. And, and I remember an episode where a man came in, and his grandmother had done from 1930 to 1970, she had taken six-inch squares of fabric, and she had sent them to every single famous person that she could think of in the world. I mean, people like John F. Kennedy, the whole Rat Pack, like Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. and Marilyn Monroe, every famous movie star, every famous baseball player, every famous athlete, and she sent them a self-addressed stamped envelope with a six-inch piece of cloth and said, you know, basically, I'm someone's granny, and I'm making a quilt with people's autographs on it, with people's signatures on it. Would you please just sign this six-inch square cloth and put it in the envelope and send it back? And everyone did. And she took all those six-inch squares of cloth with every famous person in the world from, for that 40 years and made them into a quilt. And the guy brings the quilt in to the pawn shop. And you could tell when, when, when it, they think it's something like really valuable, their eyes sort of get a little buggy. And he says, let me call a buddy. Right? That means he, he thinks that well, there could be big money in this quilt because it has every famous autograph in the world on this thing, and it's right in front of my eyes. And the buddy comes in, and he looks at it, and the buddy is overwhelmed, and he looks at it, and he says, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. And he said, well, how much is it worth? And he said, worth nothing. He said, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, it's worthless. And he said, why is this quilt worthless? And he said, well, if Granny had gotten this, the signatures and just made them into a quilt it'd be priceless 
But what she did is every time sent her back, someone sent her back a signature, she needle-stitched it. And so every signature, although it was really John F. Kennedy's signature, for example, she needle-stitched all, all through it and over it. And basically, she wiped out all the value of that quote. How did she do it? By adding to it. She added to it. You add to it, you lose. You add to the gospel, you lose. You start by faith, you end by faith. We live by faith right now, not by works of the law. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I just pray now that as we think through this, we think of, of how we're going to live our Christian lives, that we would get our minds off of all the things we need to do and instead think of all the things we need to believe and all the things we need to, to be thankful for. In Christ's name we pray these things, amen and amen.